I speak to you in the name of the one holy and living God. Amen. Do not let your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you. I am the way, the truth, the life. Evocative, comforting, this text has shaped the hopes and imaginations of countless souls. One translation says, a house with many mansions. The poetry creates room for imagination. What sort of place do you picture? Enticingly, the word way is capitalized, person and path, life on the way in Christ, a call to prayer to holiness, to possibility. This is the most often chosen text for funerals. We're in the heart of what scholars call the farewell discourse. Before being taken up to death, Jesus reassures his disciples of his abiding love. John's imagery, Jesus' words, invite us into a mystical realm yet not mystical only. I ran a shelter for homeless men, and night after night, the men chose this passage. What is more essential than a place to dwell? God's promise, God's love, given differently to each of us as each have need. But then... Right in the middle of it, no one comes to the Father except through me. Oh, really? <laughs> Why the condition? Is this John's Jesus whispering sweet words of chosenness to his beloved? His, in his zeal to comfort, he is extending to them words of excess love gushing, you know me. Or is it a startling reminder that the way, the truth, the life is narrow? Many are called, yet few are chosen. Not all will make it. Even the originalist impulses of biblical scholars will not satisfactorily resolve the intent behind the words. So what are we to do with that phrase? What do we do with any of the portions of Scripture that seem to us to run counter to the whole? Thomas Jefferson simply cut or struck out the passages that did not comport with his view. In truth, those who prescribe our Sunday readings have effectively omitted some of the ickier, uglier bits in the Bible. And on more than a few occasions, especially when planning a funeral, I've simply stopped and lopped off this particular phrase, letting the sentence end with, I am the truth and the life. 
I won't ask for a show of hands as to how many have their fingers crossed or mumble their way through portions of the creed. <laughs> but I want to address the hard bits. First, to say, ask your questions. Probe. Today we've got both Thomas, patron saint of those who ask hard questions, and Philip saying, we don't get it. How does this work? Any questions we may have, any doubts, no matter how profound and serious they may feel to us, God can handle it. God can take it. God can take our wonderings or our waywardness. The institutional church might panic. A friend or priest might cry heretic. But God, God's not worried. The Buddha, and I quote the Buddha intentionally here, the Buddha taught, just as a goldsmith would test his gold by burning, cutting, and rubbing it, so you must examine my words before you accept them for yourselves. Ask questions. Second, discern and continually seek to refine the primary lens through which you hear or read the Bible. What do I mean? Well, through our life's experience, through parents and teachers, our experience in the church or hardships and victories, we each bring certain expectations to our reading of the Bible. I do. I read all of Scripture through the lens of Jesus' radical love of inclusion. At every turn, I see Jesus deconstructing human barriers of hierarchy or exclusion and creating ever-widening circles that expand God's love. I believe this is God's movement. Reading through this lens of God's inclusive love, I then need to contend with those verses and portions that do not comport. I also recognize that there's another fully developed strand in the Bible that is shaped by purity, a lens of purity, that there are true, right, and narrow ways to follow God, and that all else is errant. And if I'm with someone who reads Scripture through the lens of purity, we're going to have a hard time finding common ground. So it helps if we can each name our own starting places, our own lenses. In my own journey, I have felt called from time to time to immerse myself in other spiritual practices and traditions. In 2007, when I spent several weeks as the guest of a Buddhist lama in Bhutan, we spent days talking through our respective understandings of salvation, enlightenment, and the path, the way in this life, I had sought to arrive at an affirmation that Christianity and Buddhism are two religious paths that lead to the same destination. Someone had shared with me the image of a mountain with many paths leading up to the top, suggesting the different paths represent different cultures and religions, but each lead ultimately to the same place. 
But what I found during my time with Lama Nadup is that in order for that to be so, we would need to twist and distort our respective religious teachings beyond recognition. Among those engaged in interfaith dialogue or practice, there is an accepted guidepost, which is do no harm. If we have to compromise or distort beliefs or practices to achieve common ground, we've crossed a line. At the same time, I discovered what many others recognize, namely that while the more fundamentalist branches of each religious tradition maintain a great distance from one another in their pursuit of purity, the mystics of each tradition find that many of the differences fall away. The practices of meditation and contemplation the teachings of silence, of letting go, and awakening are remarkably similar across all traditions. Lama Nadup and I could pray together in peace. I believe that through the breath, through attention to our breath, we are each spiritually multilingual. Rites rituals, doctrines, creeds, these all differ. But be still in the presence of holiness and pay attention to your breath, and we are one. Now, as my Himalayan pilgrimage drew to a close, Diana Eck, a Christian professor of Hinduism and director of the Pluralism Project at Harvard, gave me language to understand my experience. In her book, Encountering God, Eck posits that each person of faith is somewhere on a spectrum as to how we view those of differing faiths, ranging from exclusivist to inclusivist to pluralist, her terms. At one extreme are those of us who say that our path is the only true path to salvation, and that if you do not believe in the God of our belief, then sadly you will fry, or some equivalent thereof. <laughs> in the inclusivist middle, where a great many well-meaning people of faith reside, are those who respect the traditions and the beliefs of others and believe that the God of our own faith is gracious enough, large enough, powerful enough that somehow in the end all shall be gathered into one, which is generous if one is offering, a bit patronizing if one's on the receiving end of that equation. At the other extreme is a posture of religious pluralism, that one may be deeply devoted to our God, our tradition, and path, and at the same time acknowledge that on a really, really good day, I can only apprehend perhaps a glimpse, a whisper of the holy. And having acknowledged or picked up on a whisper of the holy creates a yearning, a desire to seek and find it, wherever it may be. And if that's true for us, 
so it is with others. So off we go to seek it at home or within, in you, in them, in this house of prayer, at a mountain stream or temple or mosque or gurdwara or shrine. Tell me of your experience of the holy. The pluralist resides within his or her own tradition, yet actively seeks holiness wherever it may be found. Finally, to my surprise and joy, I have found that the more I immerse myself in the learning and practice of the ways of others, the more clearly and deeply I experience the love of God in Christ. Jesus says, come, follow me, and up, and I'm ready to go. For me, the call to love one another begins and ends in Christian community with our holy scriptures, with our holy sacraments of the church, and the community of the faithful gathered and sent as a blessing to the world. So, ask questions. God is able and meets us where we are. Discern and claim the lenses you engage, love, purity, or whatever it may be. Seek the holy, even in unlikely places. Seek the truth expressed by those whose truth differs from your own, but not at the cost of distortion. When in doubt, return to the breath, and then claim with joy, with faith in your heart. It is Thomas, probing, questioning Thomas, who upon meeting the risen Christ will say, my Lord and my God. Amen.